ones that were not so old. Well, I think the young, the young adults, the young adults over. So I might ask you a question that that Allison probably can answer. So I probably should say she's not allowed to, and, and then we can see if John Mark can guess. We can guess. Um, and I, sh I should preface this, excluding sports. I do like watching sports. But uh, I have eliminated 95% of the sports I watch. So. Mm -hmm. Just don't have the time for it. Don't have the time for it. But I do like to watch. Well, it's actually a release for me. But my favorite kind of thing to watch on either TV or at a movie theater is a certain type of television and movie. You think you can guess what that is? What genre that is? Animation. Nope, not animation. <laughs> Any other guess? I wonder if Allison can guess. What do you think I enjoy watching? Marvel? No, not Marvel. <laughs> not Marvel. Disney? No, not Disney. Comedy. Not comedy. Science fiction. Not science fiction. Something I could do with nature. He goes, what's left? I love it. <laughs> I'm with you. My favorite, which I really, really, really like and enjoy, is mystery. Oh. I love mystery. I don't care if it's a movie or a show or, or whatever. And Angela and I really enjoy it. So a lot of, a lot of times we'll actually get in the. That's probably because you have such an analytical. Yeah, it's probably part. And we'll get in the bed sometimes because we have a computer and you can watch on computer and we'll just dial up a mystery because you can get anything now by computer, and we'll just sit there and watch a mystery together, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I'm going to read just part of a verse to you, which really will probably surprise most of us. Uh, and so you're not allowed to peek. People are trying to turn their Bible. I'm not even going to tell you where it is, so you can't, so you can't peek and read the rest of the verse. How about that? So you're not going to be able to peek and read the rest of the verse. And uh, it says this. It says, um, I want you to pray for me so that I can speak forth the word the gospel that is the mystery. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why would the Bible call, and it even not only calls the gospel a mystery, you know what else it calls a mystery? Jesus. So it says Christ is a mystery. And it says the gospel is a mystery. And Paul even goes so far as to say, would you pray for me that I have special supernatural power when I open my mouth to share this gospel, which is a mystery? And that same word is used in the Old Testament, especially by a prophet named Daniel. And the interesting thing in the Bible is this. The Bible's definition of mystery is completely different from ours. See, we see that word mystery and we think like I do, watching a mystery. And yet the Bible, that's not what it means. So we're going to talk about two things today that are really important. And that is why is it called a mystery? And the second, because I do like mysteries, what is the mystery? What is the mystery of the gospel? That's a good question, isn't it? And so that's actually a good thing for all of us to think about. Why does God call his gospel a mystery? Why does he call Jesus a mystery? And what is the mystery of the gospel? I think it's going to be very different from what you think, probably, most of us. So we want to see that. Amen? Why and what? So better than the one we might even watch one tonight. I already asked Angela. We've been so busy. I say, can't we watch a mystery tonight? So let me pray. Father, I thank you that when we talk about mysteries, none more important than the mystery of the gospel of Jesus the Christ. 
So as we think about why it's called a mystery, and we think about what is this mystery, we pray that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We always talk about unreached people. I've really... Uh, have had such a heart. Um, I love the way the Holy Spirit grips your heart. And my heart, uh, probably unlike almost any time I can ever remember in my life, that's why I always find it interesting when God does this, God has gripped my heart in indescribable ways for Pakistan for the last three weeks. I mean, so much so that sometimes I wake up praying for Pakistan. And all day long I pray for Pakistan. And my heart has been broken for Pakistan. I've just been so gripped by Pakistan all... um, last two, three weeks, and it really is, if you start studying Pakistan, you'll be awed. I don't know if there's any country in the world that has more unreached peoples of over a million. I mean, huge people groups. You just read group after group after group, and you study about them, and they'll go 1.9 million, 2.7 million, 3.8 million, never been a single known believer ever. I mean, I'm not talking about one or two. Actually, what I started doing was for this month, and we're on day 20 what? We're on day 28, and I think in those 28 days, I found 27 people groups of almost a million or more where there's never been a single person come to Christ, just in Pakistan. Isn't that amazing? Like one group, these groups are are so humble, they're called the Dobie people, and the reason they're called that is that word means in their language, wash, and they have one of the most menial tasks. All they do is wash people's clothes. That's all they do. Isn't that amazing? You live in Pakistan, you need your clothes wash, Mark, you go find Adobe. And then you pay them a certain penance of money, and you give them all your laundry, and they do all your laundry for you. That's all they do. And they talk about some of these elderly people that are so old and can barely move, and they're just out there washing clothes to try to make enough money to feed their kids. That's about 1.8 million, and never, never has a one become a believer. Isn't that amazing? Uh, just amazing. So let me start and we'll pray for the Dobie. Father, I thank you just again that the cross and the gospel of Jesus, this mystery, is for every race, every culture, every language, and every place on this planet. And you will destroy the works of the devil and open up hearts and minds over every square inch until the beauty of the love of the gospel of Jesus is flourishing like a garden of Eden on every square inch of this planet. Thank you for the Dobies. These are such hardworking people. They're servants. They're humble. They're often disrespected. They're not treated well. And they wash, 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 wash. And, Lord, we want you to wash them with the blood of Jesus in their hearts so they can be freed into beautiful life in Christ forever. And we pray for laborers for that particular harvest field that would love these people and would go to Pakistan, live among them, serve them <laughs> and be instruments of the most beautiful washing in the world, being washed by the blood of the cross and having new life in the heart in Jesus that lasts forever. How we pray that for the Dobies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, we've been talking about consider Jesus. Isn't that a great phrase? I love that verb. I had never really noticed it before in the Bible, consider Jesus. And as Joel said also, it's just gripped our heart for weeks. We've been thinking about that. And I like the way it says in Hebrews 12 when it's describing that in the third verse that you need to consider Jesus or you'll grow weary and lose hope. 
And so I just realized how much I need to consider Jesus. And I realized, really, that's the truth every time you hear a message preached, right? Really, I don't ever want to preach a message. I don't ever want to listen to a message unless I'm considering Jesus. Isn't that just a great thing? We want to consider Jesus. And one of the things you've heard me say many times, and I like repeating, is when I even use my fingers sometimes, the nine, and I talk about perfect Jesus. Don't you love perfect Jesus? And I talk about him in triplets, my perfect creator who had a perfect birth and lived a perfect life. Hallelujah. Isn't that why? He went to that perfect cross, perfect resurrection, and now a perfect reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Perfect gospel and a perfect return and a perfect forever where my body will never get sick, won't have any medical procedures, where my soul will never ever sin again and the new heavens and the new earth will make Boone look ugly. <laughs> if that can be. Yeah, we had so much fun. I tell you, I'm just, I love hiking out there. And Christmas is one of the toughest hikers in the world. And we, we end up going on adventures that we don't plan real well. Sometimes maybe dad's fault. But, uh, but, but we never mind, and we end up in some of the most unbelievable places, and sometimes we're gone for three or four hours. She'll hike five, six miles, no problem, <laughs> in Crocs. How do you hike in Crocs? Oh, I use boots. She uses Crocs. Yeah, but this time we got to the bottom of this place where it took us forever to get to where we did. And when we finally, we were wondering if it was worth it. We thought we were crazy, but when we got to the bottom, and looked up, I meant Niagara Falls has never looked like that. It's one of the most spectacular views of a waterfall ever seen in my life. It's just so awe-inspiring. And you look at that creation, and you just, when I look at that, I do consider Jesus. (laughs) I consider Jesus a lot when I see that. So when you think of this perfect Jesus, the thing that I want to talk about, I'm going to even ask you how you might answer this. I want us to focus on just one of those perfects I talked about, the gospel. It is a perfect gospel, isn't it? So maybe somebody comes up to Booty, a complete stranger, you know, and they say, Booty, what is this gospel of Jesus? And what if one of us, just think, just think if you only had a word or a couple phrases, how would you describe the gospel? Someone talks about the gospel of Jesus. Would you say forgiveness or would you say mercy or would you say grace? You know, would you say eternal life? That's the gospel. Uh, Christ. Christ is the gospel. You know, I mean, how would you describe it? What would you say? And what's really interesting is this word we're going to talk about and what Andrew Murray actually talked about and a thing I read in, in this book I love, God's Best Secrets, that Andrew Murray writes this great devotional. And he talked about what he says was the very heart of the gospel, which he says he thinks very few people even think about. When I read that, I was so staggered. I said, do I know the gospel as well as I ought? And I looked at what he was talking about, and what he was talking about gripped me because it's not at the tip of my tongue when people ask me what's the gospel. And I thought, well, why would I not think of that? And he thinks it's so important that uh, he wrote many devotions about it. So I want to start with why mystery and then talk about what is this mystery. Does anybody even have an idea of why would God call the gospel a mystery? Uh, and actually, this is coming straight from Daniel. So if you actually read uh, Daniel's, you, Daniel, that word mystery is used more than anywhere else. Anywhere else. And then it is used in places. For example, the place I initially quoted for you was from Colossians 4. was from Colossians 4 where uh, Paul is actually pleading for people to pray for him. 
So he says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, Colossians 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keep alert in it with thanksgiving, and then he wants them to pray for him as a minister of the what? Gospel. So he even says, would you please pray for me? Pray for us at the same time as well. And then he tells exactly what he wants them to pray. He said, would you specifically pray that God would open up a door for the word? Open up a door for us in proclaiming the gospel, the word, so that we can speak forth the mystery. I've been imprisoned for this mystery. And pray for me specifically that I can make it clear in the right way I should speak about it. Why in the world is the gospel called a mystery? Any idea? Ah, so she's really beginning to hit it. You hear what Laura said? Laura used the word concealed. That's exactly why this word is used. That's why it's used. Because the gospel is concealed in a supernatural way. And she's already gotten the answer. Uh, you know, 28 gold stars. Uh, the reason the word mystery is used is only by a miraculous, awesome, supernatural work of God can this be revealed to anybody. Right? By nature, our eyes are spiritually what? Blind. Our ears are what? Spiritually deaf. Our hearts are spiritually dead. We come into the world with a physical heart, but our spiritual heart is dead. We come into this world, hopefully, with eyes that can see, but our spiritual eyes are blind, 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 blind. We come into this world, hopefully, with ears that can hear, but spiritually we are deaf as a doornail. So you're deaf, blind, and dead spiritually. So there must be a spectacular revelation, a supernatural revelation, so that what is concealed can be revealed, right? So that's why Paul calls it a mystery. He knows that God has to do an extraordinary work. That's really, he's smart. He's really smart. He realizes even speaking to Christians, he knows that even with Christians in the room, if God doesn't act supernaturally, you'll be blind to what God wants to show you today. You'll be deaf to what he wants you to hear today, and your heart will be dead to it. There must be a spectacular supernatural miracle of the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see what God wants you to see and ears to hear what God wants you to hear and a heart to receive what he wants you to hear. That's every time you ever come to church. Yeah. You need a miracle. You need a revelation. You need supernatural ministry of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called a mystery. Mystery. Now, the second question is more important and even harder to answer. How would you describe what that mystery is? You know, I gave you, you know, perfect Jesus. I say when I talk about Jesus, perfect creator, perfect birth, perfect life, perfect cross, perfect resurrection, perfect reign. Perfect gospel, perfect return, perfect forever, perfect Jesus. I want to know about it. I don't want to argue about small things in this book and doctrine. I want us to focus on who? Perfect Jesus. But what is the mystery of the gospel? How would you answer that? You know, like someone came up to Philip and said, Philip, what is the mystery of the gospel? Wow. It's actually answered in Colossians. Isn't that nice? So it's so nice that he didn't, he didn't leave us without an answer because he used the word mystery again. And he used it in chapter, the beginning of the book. So if you turn to right at the beginning of Colossians, chapter 2, chapter 1. Let's see, make sure I don't lose him. I'm in the right book. Isn't that hilarious? I might miss where it is. 
I do have a note or two, <laughs> so I'll look back at the verse. Colossians 1, so it's the very beginning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 26, the mystery. There we are. The mystery, it's been what? Hidden from past ages and generations, but it has now been manifested to whom God willed make known the riches of the glory of the mystery, even among Gentiles. What is that mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory, the indwelling Christ. Would, would that have been on the tip of your tongue? Someone asked you, what's the mystery of the gospel? And Sonia would have said right away, it's the indwelling Christ. It's Christ living in you. It's actually that in your heart, Jesus is literally living inside of you. That's, that's the mystery. Wow, that wouldn't have been the first thing on my tongue, would it? You were sharing somebody about forgiveness or mercy. I want to tell you about the grace that God gives gifts you don't deserve. I want to tell you about mercy that God takes away what you do deserve. I want to tell you about getting cleaned and having your heart cleaned. And I want to talk about being freed from the punishment of your sin and freed from the power of your sin. I want to talk to you about life. Christ came that you might have life and have it abundantly and want to talk about eternal life. It's going to last forever. I don't know what else you would mention. You know, would you say the indwelling Christ? Christ living in you and the hope that you have with that, the hope of future glory. Christ living in you. Wow, the indwelling Christ. The indwelling Christ. So I want to go to what I think might be the most important section of Scripture on that from the Gospels. And you know what's interesting is that Paul, as I began to study this more, you know, this is Paul's, Paul would always answer that. This was in so much of Paul's writings. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. For Paul, the whole gospel is Christ living in him. He couldn't think of anything else. Christ is living in me. Christ is alive in me. Hey, Joel, Christ is living in you. Christ living in me. That's all he could talk about. That was the mystery. Christ living in me. And I think the most beautiful place that's ever described is in John chapter 14 when Jesus is about to die and he wants to talk to his disciples about the fact that he's going to leave them. And they're so troubled and disturbed, are they not? His disciples are troubled and disturbed. That's why he starts John 14, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> You know, again, the very end of this whole great passage, he says the same thing. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God the Father. Believe also in what? Me. In my Father's house are many. That word is literally, we translate it uh, mansions because of the King James. That's probably not the best translation. Uh, it's really dwelling place or place to live. There are many living places. There are many dwelling places. So he says, in my Father's house... My father's house has many different places to live, dwelling places for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be too. This verse always has such meaning to me because when Angela and I got engaged, and I had decided before we ever got married that I did not want us wasting apartment rent. So uh, I cannot tell you how much I had to work to prepare a place for us, a place to live. Uh, I, I spent more hours than you could ever describe, and I bought a little two-acre piece of land in Hillsborough, North Carolina. 
Uh, just two acres, and I got it and had enough money to buy. Then I had to get it cleared because there's just trees everywhere. I remember the first time I went out there at night, it was one time at night, and there was no moon. And literally, and Angela can tell you once we moved out there, one time before we ever got a security light, literally in bed, we were within six inches of one another, could look at each other and not see any detail of each other. That's what you call pitch black darkness. Literally, I don't think I've ever seen such darkness. I had to clear that. I had to get a well dug. I had to get a septic system put in. I had to find a double-wide mobile home for us. I had to get them to bring it out. I had to get them to brick it under. I just wanted to prepare a place for my bride. I wanted it to be perfect. I was so embarrassed. Can you imagine as a, as a young man wanting to do all this? I want to get everything done. It comes out the time for the wedding, and it's not ready. I mean, I, I take my wife, and I take her on a great honeymoon, and after the honeymoon, we go to move in with my mom and dad. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. There's a husband, got his wife married, went to the honeymoon, and got home and moved in with mom and dad. Oh, wow. But I, I, was so in, I am so in love with her, and I'm just preparing a place. I'm preparing a place for her. I'm working hard. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Can you imagine Jesus says, I'm going to fair place for you. Sonia, he's got a special living place for her, special dwelling place in the Father's house. He's getting it ready for her. It's not for anybody else. It's not for Joel. It's not for Madeline. It's for her. Just amazing to think of Jesus going away after his life, after perfect creator, perfect birth, perfect life, perfect cross, perfect resurrection. Then he went and took his seat at the throne of the Father's right hand. And if you're a born-again Christian, he's getting a place ready for you. Wow! Much greater than what I did for Angela. And he says, I'm preparing a place for you. What I love is he's not only preparing a place for me, he's preparing me for the place. He's preparing a place for me, and he's preparing me for the place, and when I'm ready, woo, I'm going home. All right, that's it. He's preparing a place for me, and he's preparing me for the place, and when it's ready, I'm going to go home. I'm gonna, this is not my home. And so he tells them, in my father's house are many of these dwelling places, living places. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going to, isn't that just beautiful? I'm going to prepare, I take that personally. I'm going, Jesus is going to prepare a place for Brian. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, where Jesus is, Brian, you can be too. And you know the way where I'm going. Now, Thomas gets a little perplexed. He says, Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? Doesn't that make sense? You know, like Mark may be taking me to some great restaurant, and he might say, Brian, I'm never going to give you the directions. You've got to get in your car and what? Follow me. Mark turns left, I turn left. Mark turns right, I turn right. Mark goes straight, I go straight, because I don't know where I'm going. But you do, and that's enough for me. But you know, the funny thing is he had told Thomas where. Thomas wasn't listening, was he? What do you tell him in the first verse? I'm going to my father's house, Thomas. Father's house, that's where I'm going. And you know the only way you can get to the father's house? There's only one way. Guess what it is? Following Jesus. <laughs> no other way to the father's house than following Jesus. I'm not talking about a one-time thing. I'm talking about truly knowing Christ, loving Christ, and living your life following Jesus. And that way it doesn't matter where the father's house is, does it? Because I'll end up getting there. 
when I wander away and get lost, he comes and gets me and brings me back on the path. He says, Brian, quit wandering. Brian, listen to me, Brian. Follow me, Brian. Stay real close to me, Brian, and you'll get where you ought to be. The reason you weren't where you're supposed to be is you hadn't been listening very well. I love following Jesus. It's the joy of my life. That's Mark's number one word for a Christian, a follower. So here it is. Jesus says, you've got to follow me if you want to get to the Father's house. And uh, Thomas said, said, how? Jesus, verse 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father too, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, but Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, oh, Philip, 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 I've been so long with you and you haven't come to know me. Philip, he who has seen me has seen the what? Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I am in the Father? And the Father is what? In me. So that means because the Father and Jesus and Jesus and the Father, perfect unity, it's impossible to hear Jesus without hearing who? The Father. When Jesus does great works, who's also working? The Father. If you see Jesus' works, how can you see Jesus' works without seeing the Father's works? You can't, like she said. How can you hear a word of God from the mouth of Jesus that isn't the Father speaking? You can't. And so he's telling Philip, you're not getting it, Philip. How can you be telling me to show the Father I've been here for three years with you? <laughs> Do you not believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I'm not speaking on my own initiative, Philip. The Father abiding in me is doing his works. Believe me, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he'll do too. Greater works than these he'll do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, they're still not very content. What are the disciples upset about? Jesus is going to leave them. Can you imagine, you know, if it was Mark, you know, can you actually even imagine that you may have been working 5 a.m. all your life, then this fisherman comes along and you leave everything. There's IBM gone, and I'm following Jesus. Can you imagine that? And to do that for three years? So for three years, Jesus has been your life night and day. You eat with Jesus, you sleep with Jesus, you follow Jesus. Jesus goes to, to Nazareth, you go to Nazareth. Jesus goes says, well, back to Jerusalem, you go. <laughs> You're just following him. He's, he's your life. You gave up everything to follow him. And he is he, everything that you could ever want. It's been for three years, about a thousand days, and he looks you at the face and he says, I'm leaving. Say what? I gave up everything to follow you? And now you're leaving? I mean, I would have been so troubled. I'd have been so troubled. I couldn't sleep, right? So they are troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. They are troubled. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he's going to give you another helper. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. And he'll be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it doesn't behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you. You know know how they would have probably answered that? Uh, We don't know him. What did they just told Jesus? They didn't know who. The Father, Jesus says, oh, y'all aren't getting this very well. You hear me speak, you hear Dad, you hear the Father. You also hear the Holy Spirit. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. How can you tell me you don't know the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's with me. When when I'm working, the Holy Spirit's working. When I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's speaking. You're telling me that you don't know the Holy Spirit? And what does he tell them about the Holy Spirit? Verse 17, 
you know him because he abides with you, he will be in you. Do you catch that? The indwelling Holy Spirit, Sheldon, the indwelling Holy Spirit, he'll live in you. He'll literally be inside you. He'll be in your heart. He'll live in you. When you go to Boone, he'll go with you. When you go to Raleigh, he'll go with you. Wherever you go, he'll go because he's actually inside your heart. He's alive, living in you. So everywhere you are, he's what? He's indwelling. He's alive in you. The Holy Spirit. Verse 18, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'll come to you. Now, wait a minute. What, Jesus? You're going to come to me? How? Verse 19, after a little while, the world will behold me no longer, but you will. You're going to behold me, and because I live, you'll live too. And they're real confused. This is why I talk about plugging in Jesus, right? If you plug into Jesus, you plug into the supernatural life of Christ, and what's in Jesus literally flows into you. Isn't that awesome? That's why, have you ever figured that out yet, that that's why uh, life in Christ is eternal? Why? Because Jesus is eternal. Isn't his life eternal? Yes. And if you're plugged into him, his life is in you. So literally, you've got eternal life in you, right? He says, because I live, you'll what? Live. Yeah, you can't die because I can't die. Because I live, you're going to live too. He says, uh, I won't leave you as an orphan. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. You will, because I live, you'll live too. And that day you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them loves me. And he who loves me is going to be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself supernaturally, mystery to him. Judas, not as scared, had a great question. Lord, what's happened? <laughs> so that you're going to be able to reveal yourself to us and not the world. Good question, right? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our, and I hate the bad use of translations. Oh, don't mess up the word. Just get out your tears and cry. The right translation is we will make our dwelling place with him. This is the same word in verse 2. In my Father's house are many what? dwelling places, and now he's saying the Father and I will make you our dwelling place. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? While you wait for your dwelling place in heaven that Jesus is preparing for you, he makes you his dwelling place now. Isn't that spectacular? While you wait for your dwelling place in heaven, God the Father and God the Son by the work of the Holy Spirit make you their dwelling place on earth now. You see what he's saying? (laughs) You are going to be my dwelling place. That's so amazing. He had just told them, I go to the Father's house, verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. Now all of a sudden in verse 23, he's saying, we, the Father, and I will come and make our dwelling place inside you. Do you see how he has said three times in this verse, the Holy Spirit will live where? In you. Jesus will live where? In you. The Father will live where? In you. What's the mystery of the gospel? The indwelling Father. The indwelling Jesus. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Christ. In you. The hope of glory. Jesus is living in you. He is dwelling in you. The Father is living in you. The Holy Spirit is living in you. Just think in the old covenant. when Where did God live? Well, read your Bible. He started off, oh, good word, Madeline, Eden. Started off in Eden, right? Yeah. 
And then he's in the tabernacle while they're going through the wilderness. Then he's in the holiest of holies. There's a specific place where Angela could say, that's where God lives. And only one person can go in there. The high priest, and how often? And then when he's crucified, the, tent is, the veil is rent. Why? Not so you can get in, so he can get out, so to speak. Why was the veil rent? So you would know God doesn't live there anymore. If you want God now, you can't get him in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> you want to find God, you can't go to the temple and go to the Holy of Holies and go, now I'm going to find where God lives because he's not there anymore. Because he's in you. The indwelling Christ. Jesus is living in me. The Father's living in me. The Holy Spirit's living in me. Now, I'm not trying to tell you not to go to church. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I did hear one pastor, and he said it so right and accurate. He says, I will never call that place we worship the sanctuary ever again. Now, why was he saying that? Because a building's not the sanctuary anymore. God doesn't live in the Holy of Holies. That's not his sanctuary. God doesn't live in the temple. That's not his sanctuary. God doesn't live in the tabernacle. That's not his sanctuary. God doesn't live in Notre Dame. That's not his sanctuary. You can't build a building and make God dwell there. No, a church is not God's sanctuary. As much as you like to go to church, it's not his sanctuary. I don't go to church to meet God. And I really do enjoy this. And I can understand how people would say this when I'm out in Boone. I'm in sanctuary. I'm out on a mountain. Jesus is living in me. The Father is right here in me. The Holy Spirit's in me. Yeah, I could have texted y'all and said, I'm not coming back. I don't need to come to Cornelia today. <laughs> I don't got to go to a church to meet God. He's living in me, and I'm out here, and the Father's living in me. Jesus is living in me. The Holy Spirit's living in me. I can feel it. I am the sanctuary. Isn't that astounding? I am the holy place. Oh, my goodness. Now, don't get it wrong. Now I can understand why in the latter book of Hebrews they had to give that warning, don't forsake the assembly together as is the habit of some. And he had to warn people, you stop going to church, you're in a dangerous place. He probably had to warn them because people were saying God's not in a church anymore. They were right. You know, that you can't make a building, can you? That we're his building. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus is saying. The Father will come. And I love that phrase, we will, make our, we will manifest ourselves to you. Wow, they were worried about Jesus leaving. And, he, and he's saying, i got something better for you. Because when Jesus was on earth, booty, you had to follow him, right? And so if he went to Jerusalem and you couldn't make it because you were sick as it could be, you know, you can't be in his presence, right? You're at home in bed. As much as you wanted to get up and follow him, you just couldn't. You're really sick. Wherever he was, the only way you could enjoy his presence was to what? Follow him. Isn't that great? Now he's in you. Oh, wow. Christ living in booty. Wow. The Father. You've got a good, good Father living in your soul. And the Holy Spirit comforter, God and helper, he is deep in you just living, living, living. Wow. Don't stop coming to church. But you understand it. That's why it's not a sanctuary, is it? It's not a sanctuary here. It's not. And you're a sanctuary. Isn't this the great mystery of the gospel? What is the mystery of the gospel? The indwelling Christ. The indwelling Father. The indwelling Holy Spirit. You can say it out loud. Say it. Say, Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in me. Say, the Father lives in me. Say, the Holy Comforter is living in me. 
Wow, the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you, the indwelling Christ. But don't stop there. The indwelling Christ, the indwelling Father, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Read John 14. He said all three, just in about seven verses, the Holy Spirit will be in you. I will come and dwell in you. The Father will come in what? Dwell in you. Not the Holy of Holies, not a temple, not a tabernacle. On earth, if you were sick and couldn't follow to me, you wouldn't have my presence. Now you can be anywhere. You can be out hiking on the trail. I am there. You can be in a building. I am there. You can be driving in your car. I am there. The Father is always living in me. Jesus is always living in me. The Holy Spirit is always living in me. Wow. Wow, wow. What a mystery, amen? That is what the mystery of the gospel is, this indwelling. <laughs> so unbelievable. Let me give one last verse that really pictures this so beautiful. Uh, actually, one of my favorite words, koinonia. Actually, it's the word koinonia. The best way I can think, and it's hard to define koinonia. People actually say fellowship. Probably not the best word to describe it. Koinonia really means sharing divine life and divine love. That's what it actually means. And that's because the Father lives in you. Jesus lives in you and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so we're not only connected to God, we're connected what? To each other. And so together in a very special way we can literally taste, feel, and experience divine life, divine love, divine joy, divine peace. You know, this koinonia is sharing in all the life and all the love that's in the Father, in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in us as we then are connected not only to the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to each other, so I'm connected to Madeline. So when I'm in Madeline, I can literally feel, and I can. <laughs> She's so beautiful, isn't she? You can feel the love of Jesus in her and the joy of Jesus and the peace of Jesus. Many times I hear the wisdom of Jesus come right out of her mouth. How can that be? Because She's connected. Isn't that great? She's connected up there and to me. I get excited about that. She's going to be my sister forever. We're relatives. We're blood brother and sister. I'm connected to her. Isn't that beautiful? I will always know you, Madeline. Always. It's so beautiful, isn't it? I'm going to have fellowship with her forever and ever. We're going to enjoy Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. What's on earth is going to be nothing. When we get to heaven and got our new bodies and our new soul and the new heaven and the new earth, maybe we'll go hiking. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I'm not going to sit around in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't know about you. I'm really excited. I'm going to believe I'm going to be in the new universe. I think I'm going to be able to fly. I think so. And I'm going to have different senses. I think of all the senses I have here that show me Jesus' taste and touch and smell and sight. And I think I'm going to have a billion more. <laughs> and I'm going to have all of Jesus and all the Father and all the Holy Spirit and all of you and all of creation. Oh, my goodness. Moses and I can talk and share. And it's going to just be so awesome, isn't it? Wow, can you imagine that? Just fellowship, koinonia, sharing. And that's why one of my favorite uh, passages anywhere that uses that is 1 John. Because chapter 1 of 1 John uses this word, I think, seven times. <laughs> it's all about perfect Jesus. That which was from the beginning, we've heard Jesus. We've seen him with our own eyes. <laughs> we've beheld him. That's a supernatural mystery revelation. That word beheld means something supernatural's come so that you could really see Jesus. And we even handled him. <laughs> Don't you love the way John says it? <laughs> I handled Jesus. 
<laughs> you know, sometimes you have to touch something to believe it's true. He says, you know, touching Sheldon, grabbing him, you know, strong man. I can feel those muscles. John's saying, I handled, <laughs> I handled Jesus. I touched him. I can tell you he's true. I touched this one. I handled him concerning the word of life. And that life was manifested. That's the incarnation. We have seen it. We bear witness to it. We proclaim to you this eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father, but he was then manifested, incarnated to us. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have koinonia. We want you to have koinonia what? With us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and his Son, Jesus. These things were written so that our joy can be filled up. Amen. And this is the message we heard from him and announced to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have koinonia with Jesus and we walk in the darkness, we're lying and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as Jesus himself is in the light, we have koinonia. There it is again with one another. And the blood, hallelujah, of Jesus, his son, cleans us from all our sin. Aren't you glad? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us, but... If we confess our sins, he's faithful. There's that covenant love and covenant faithfulness and righteous, not only to forgive our sins, but to do what? Oh, I love it. To clean us from all the unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we haven't sinned, we're making him a liar and his word isn't in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you won't practice sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Hallelujah. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. Not just ours, aren't you glad? But those of the whole world, including what? Pakistan. <coughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Christ in you. Isn't that a great word? Christ in you. The indwelling Christ. The indwelling Father. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Isn't that spectacular? To think I am the Holy of Holies. And the Father's living in me. My heavenly Father's right here on earth in me. And Jesus is living in me. And the Holy Spirit is living in me. <laughs> it's so amazing this. God prepares a dwelling place for me in heaven that while I'm waiting, as he's preparing me for the place and the place for me, he actually says, Brian, I'm going to come and make you my dwelling place now on earth so that I and the Father will live in you. Wow, I am his house. Isn't that amazing? Now you understand why I really believe that any time Paul would ever talk about the gospel, I believe Galatians 2.20 would be the first words out of his mouth. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live. <laughs> but not I. Christ is living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I'm living by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The heart of the gospel is the cross of Christ which puts to death everything in me that needs to die. My self-centeredness, my selfishness, my self-will, my self-pleasing, my self-effort, dying. And the resurrection rises up in me what? Christ's life and the Father's life and the Holy Spirit's life living in me. And all that becomes true. I do just want to state, and I'm going to just state them very fast, about six or seven applications just for you to think about. Not for you to process today, but just to think about, okay? You know, so what? What does this mean? <laughs> Applications, number one, because I have the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Father, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. I have abundant, eternal life in me. I am alive. Two, I have koinonia. Koinonia with my Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in you. Three, 
It means that the heartbeat of everything in my life is intimacy. I want more intimacy with who? My Father, more intimacy with Jesus, more intimacy with the Holy Spirit. All true ministry comes out of intimacy. That's why some pastors haven't figured that out. If, the, if they are growing in intimacy with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that indwells them, then there'll be a fountain, and what comes out of them is coming from their intimacy. This passage tells me, I mean, this theme tells me how important intimacy. Number four, holiness. If I'm the holy of holies, I need to be what? Holy. I can't bear the thought that my Father and my Savior and my Holy Spirit could live in a temple that I'm desecrating. I don't want to desecrate the temple of God. I want to be what? Holy. Number five, love. If my Father who loves and Jesus who loves and the Holy Spirit of love is living in me, I want to be a fountain of what? Love. I want their love flowing out of me. Uh, number six, what Joel sings at times, and, and the only way I can say it is using the song. What does that mean? It means my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself away. I don't belong to myself anymore, do I? I've died to Brian so that Christ the Father and the Holy Spirit can live in me. My life belongs to who? My Father who art in heaven. My life belongs to two. He's not only in heaven, he's what? <laughs> in me. My life belongs to Jesus who lives in me. My life belongs to the Holy Spirit who lives in me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself away. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Next to last one. It means that the gospel is cross resurrection and promised life. It means that the gospel is all about the cross that puts Brian to death. I actually do this. I hold them on my hands. I'll say this for you because it's meant so much to me. Maybe you can think of these for you. I literally put it on my hand and I say this. I tell myself always that I want to die to self-centeredness, to selfishness, to self-will, to self-pleasing, and to self-effort. I'll actually put this five up and I'll go, I'm not going to be self-centered. I'm not going to be selfish. I don't want to be self-will. I don't want in control. I'm not going to be self-pleasing, and I do not want to rely on self-effort. I am dying by the power of the cross to everything in my flesh and what? Self. So that Christ can rise in me. I want the Father to live in me and Jesus to live in me and the Holy Spirit, don't you? Don't you want more Father life, Christ life, and Spirit life? Don't you want to be a fountain of God life? Don't you want to die to self? Yeah, you can't rise in Christ the Father and the Holy Spirit unless you die to self. I want to die more to self. I want more of the Father living in me and Jesus living in me and the Holy Spirit living in me. And last of all, which, you know, they write books on this all the time and I don't know the answer, but I do know what to talk about. You know, this, what we've talked about, this theme is all about the presence of God, isn't it? Don't you want to learn how to live 24-7 where you are living in conscience awareness of the manifest presence of God in you? Don't you want that? So that you learn how to live in the reality. I know the Father's in me, but I want to live where I can feel the Father and feel Jesus and feel the Holy Spirit. And I'm consciously aware of their presence in me all the time. Don't you want that? Just to be aware of the Father's presence, Jesus' presence, the Holy Spirit's presence, practice of the presence of God. Father Lawrence knew what he was talking about when he wrote that book. He wanted to learn how to live so that the gospel, the Christ indwelling, 
that Christ lives in me, the Father lives in me, and the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I want to learn how to live in the awareness of that conscious reality moment by moment by moment by moment. Don't you want more of that? The presence of God. You are the holy of holies, and God's living in you. Isn't that spectacular? What a mystery. Father, we do pray for this mystery of the gospel to become a reality through supernatural revelation of the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Father, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus is living in me. The Father is living in me. The Holy Spirit's living in me. And I want to, we want to learn how to live our life moment by moment and manifest awareness of the presence, the presence of God in us. What a wonderful gospel. Wow, the mystery of the gospel, the indwelling Christ and Father and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.